Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, church. Uh, We are so glad that you are with us today. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Hanford, uh, and and we're continuing on in our series in Galatians this week, and the uh, the subtitle of our, our series in Galatians really is Jesus plus nothing. And, and the reason it is titled Jesus plus nothing is because there was a church back in biblical times, Church of Galatia, that's why we have the name, the book of Galatians, uh, that this church began to believe that in order to gain salvation, in order to become part of the family of God, you needed to believe in Jesus and do other stuff. Um, that's the very simplified version of everything that's going on in the book of Galatians. The apostle Paul, he writes this entire letter to remind them that they are ta- what they are talking about is poor theology. It is a poor understanding of God. It's a poor study of God as well. Uh, and, and really, they could miss the message of Jesus completely if they continued down through that path that they were kind of taken. Many of you know this, uh, but when I came to faith in Christ, I was eight years old. Uh, I was on the bottom bunk of my bed, and I asked my mom if we could pray and I could accept Jesus uh, into my heart. And we did that and it was great. And according to Romans 10.9, Romans 10.9 says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So according to that, at that point, I was saved. That was really the beginning of my faith. But I read another story recently, actually in the New York Times. Uh, It shares about a man named Bashir Muhammad. And uh, Bashir Muhammad, he was by self-definition a radical Islamic terrorist. That's how he actually defined himself in the article. And in 2013, he actually fought in the Syrian civil war for a group called the Nusra Front. Um, and this, this group really was an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. And he said that if anyone were to even suggest that he follow Jesus as his savior, he would have killed them then and there. It got very, very real in this article. He believed Christians were actually the real enemy of God. Uh, And then something happened. Uh, His wife got sick. And as his wife was sick, actually he had a cousin come to him. It's actually the same cousin that introduced him to this radical Islamic side, this radical Islamic group. Uh, The same cousin introduced him to that actually said, hey, I'm a Christian now. And I wanted to know if I could pray for your wife since she is sick. And at first, he was angry. He was irate because of the fact that he believed that Christians were the enemy of the real God. And so he told his cousin, no, you can't pray for her. But the cousin did anyway. And the cousin actually told him after his wife got better that he had been praying for her regularly. And it was because of this that the cousin then began to get the opportunity to share his faith with Bashir in the first place. Uh, now, this guy, he wasn't, he wasn't just like, you know, a, a, a nominal believer or anything like that. Uh, he, he would stay up late praying prayers to Allah. His neighbors actually asked him when he was going to become a prophet because of the fact that he prayed so loud and so often uh, and so fervently. But eventually, Bashir Muhammad came to faith in Christ because of his cousin's faithfulness and talking to him about the gospel. Now, here's what I want you to know, is that when Bashir Muhammad came to faith in Christ, and when I came to faith in Christ, these stories actually start our faith journey. They are the same 
story for us. Oftentimes we believe if we have one of those stories like mine where you grew up in a Christian house and obviously I'm going to become a Christian and all of those things that it's not a valid story. This is the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel that regardless if you're an eight-year-old where the worst thing that you've done is stolen dessert off of the counter when your parents told you not to or you were a radical Islamic terrorist who wanted to kill anybody who opposed who he believed to be the one true God. Uh, when we both came to faith, that was our starting point, our faith in Christ. So we started at the same point. The status of our spiritual lives was the same because we are both in the family of Christ at that point. And it's important to note then that we all start in that space. We all start in the same spot because we have placed our faith in Christ. Every single one of us start in that spot. And I want you to take a second right now and I want you to just remember the beginning of your faith. I want you to remember the beginning of your walk with Christ. So just take a second. I want you to think about it. Think about maybe when you made that decision, maybe you were sitting in the church. Maybe you were sitting in here where I'm preaching right now. Maybe you were sitting in your living room or your bedroom or you were having a conversation with a friend. Think about who was there. Think about what it looked like. Think about uh, the, the way that you felt, the emotions that were running through your body at that point. I want you to just think back to where your faith began. And I'm not asking you to do this because I want to be overly emotive or to make your conversion to to Christianity an idol to be worshiped or anything like that. That's not the case. I want you to think back to when your faith in Christ began because Paul in his letter to Galatians, specifically in chapter three, verses one through five, it's where we're gonna be in just a second. He takes a minute to call them back as well. He takes a minute to call them back to the beginning of their faith. And I think there's something incredibly special. I think there's something incredibly innocent about the beginning of our faith. And when people are led to Christ, usually the question that that is asked by them is, what do I have to do? What is it that I have to do to become a follower of Christ? And then for most of us, we would say, okay, well, we're going to lead you through the ABCs of salvation, right? We're going to say, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that God sent his son to die on the cross, and I choose to follow him every single day. And once we do that, again, according to Romans 10:9, they are then saved, and they're that same point of salvation that all of us are. This entire thing, though, is summarized for us in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is what it says. It says, you foolish Galatians. This is Paul talking. And you can tell, again, Paul, he's incredibly upset about this. Like, he doesn't pull punches in this book at all. And so uh, Paul is incredibly emotive here. But he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain what you heard? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? or by believing what you heard. This entire thing, Paul is backing them back up to what they heard, reminding them how they came to faith in the first place. He really does a great job, specifically in verse three. And so we're gonna hone in quite a bit on verse three today, because this is what it says. Again, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, 
are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? He's talking about their life. He's talking about their faith. So when he says, after beginning, this is the beginning of their faith, that time when they decided to put their faith in Christ, that Romans 10:9 moment, that's what he's talking about, where he says, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish the end of their faith? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So Paul notes where they all started. Paul notes their conversion to Christianity here. And Paul says, hey, stop being so foolish. Knock it off. You came into the fold because of your belief in Christ. Why are you now trying to add to it by doing more things? This is another example of, a, of us talking about the idea of justification through faith alone. We are justified. We are brought into the family of God by faith alone. That's it. And Paul is reminding them, hey, stop being so foolish. Remember when you came to faith in the first place. Remember that point of conversion. Remember your Romans 10:9 moment. What, what was it that you had to do to come into the fold? It was simply to have faith in Christ. Why are you now doing more things? And, we, and, and honestly, we, we as Christians tend to do the same thing quite a bit. We, we do the same thing as pastors too. Actually, pastors might actually be some of, of the worst people at this. And all of us have great intentions. Every single one of us have great intentions. We want to see people become mature followers of Christ, right? All of us want to see people become disciples and, and, and really have kind of a, a mature faith, uh, which of course is an incredibly great thing. I'm not knocking that at all. I think it's, it's one of the most important things in the entire world for us to do. But we tell them what a mature Christian then should look like. We tell them what a mature Christian should act like. And a lot of times, like I said, pastors are the worst at this. So, so to steal a story actually from my old pastor, Tom Mercer, um, it, it, it kind of goes like this. So a man came to church, and when this man came to church, he listened to the message. It was probably an incredibly compelling message that probably Pastor Jeff gave, right? But he came to church, and at the end of service, uh, we, he, he prayed the ABCs, and man, he was so excited, and he came up to the pastor after church, and he just said, he said, Pastor, Thank you so much. Uh, I, I placed my faith in Christ today. What is it that I have to do to become a mature Christian? And the pastor, man, hey, I'm so excited that you placed your faith in Christ. I'm so excited about that. In order to become a mature Christian, what we need you to do is we need, to go, we need you to go to our Discipleship 101 class. And Discipleship 101, uh, really, you're going to learn everything you need to know to become a mature Christian. Christian. And so this guy, he's super pumped and he goes back to all of his buddies and, you know, his buddies are uh, uh, cussing up a storm and all that stuff. And, and he's like, guys, guys, you'll never believe what happened today. I went to church and I placed my faith in Christ. And now I'm going to go to a discipleship 101 class. And his friends are all like, oh, well, what the, what the blankety blank is a discipleship 101 class? And he's like, I, I don't know, but I was told I have to go there to be a mature Christian, so I'm going to go. So he goes to Discipleship 101, and it's a three-month-long class. And, man, at the end of that class, he goes back to his pastor and says, Pastor, I did it. Am I a mature Christian now? I did Discipleship 101. What is it that I need to do now uh, to, to become a mature Christian? Or, or have I arrived? Am I a mature Christian? He said, you know, you're not. Pastor says, you're not quite a mature Christian yet. Uh, I'm going to need you to go to uh, Discipleship 201. 
and Discipleship 201, you'll learn a little bit more about what it means to be a mature Christian. And so he goes, okay, it's a four-month class, but I'll, I'll do it, pastor. So he goes and he does Discipleship 201. And, you know, it was weird. He, he forgot to go talk to his friends about the fact that he was now doing another thing in Discipleship 201. And he finishes 201. And, man, all of a sudden he looks back and he hasn't actually talked to those friends in like seven months. Hmm. Well, I, I need to become a mature Christian, though. There's things that I have to do. So he goes to the pastor. pastor says, of course, hey, 201, that is so great. Hardly anybody finishes 201. But 301, 301, that's the class that you're really going to become a mature Christian. So he does 301 and then, of course, 401 after that. And at 401, he goes to the pastor and says, Pastor, I've completed all four of the discipleship classes. Am I now a mature Christian? He says, you did it. You're a mature Christian. So now I want you to go back. The pastor says, I want you to go back to all of your friends and tell them about everything that you've learned. Tell them about the gospel. And then he realized that all of the friends that he used to have are now just church people. People that he, he saw in discipleship 101, 201, 301, 401, which are good things. But the minute that we allow things to distract us from the simplicity of the gospel and sharing that gospel with other people, man, we're in trouble. And that's exactly what happened with this guy. We end up abandoning a lot of other people because rather than us just encouraging people to read their Bible and tell people about how Jesus changed your life, we'd have added all of these extra things. We've added all of these extra layers and none of them by themselves are bad. But if we decide that the most important things are doing all of these extra things, then man, we've really lost sight of the simplicity of the gospel. It's all these extra layers of being a, quote, good Christian. And we rarely would say it has something to do with our salvation, right? Like this specifically is talking about their salvation. We would rarely say, oh, I mean, we would never say here, we would never say in order to, to go to heaven, in order to gain salvation, you have to believe in Jesus and also go to Discipleship 101. We would never say anything like that. Uh, we would never say that. But would believers say something like, if your, ne your, your next step of faith is to get into that class, or your next step of faith is to get baptized, your next step of faith is to do something, we do that all the time. See how we keep adding things to our relationship with Jesus. If I can just do one more thing, if I can do one more thing, we keep adding to our relationship with Jesus and then pretty soon our faith becomes distracted by things rather than becoming focused on our Savior. And that's an issue. That's actually a huge issue. Can I just tell you that, that I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I, I, I love church. I love church buildings. Uh, I love going to church on Sundays and hearing people sing. And I know that's something that is sorely, sorely missed right now. But if I'm going to be honest and possibly ruffle uh, a few feathers, I think there's often times when even our buildings uh, can be a distraction to our faith. When even our traditions possibly can be a distraction to our faith, the places we meet have all of a sudden become a huge topic of discussion. And I don't even think that's wrong. I think that discussion needs to happen. But I also think that we are promised different things as Christians than we are promised as Americans, 
right? And so I think oftentimes what, what can happen is we start focusing on the wrong things and the focus becomes our church building or our focus becomes on where we're meeting or our focus becomes on how we are doing specific things. All of a sudden our focus gets off of Jesus and onto things and we get completely and totally distracted and our faith becomes completely and totally distracted. But when we keep adding things to what is required for us to be a good Christian, our faith becomes distracted. I mean, we talked about it last week, actually. Last week, we talked about the idea that, that Paul rebuked Peter for focusing on the wrong thing. Peter was trying to add things to the gospel. Peter said, hey, well, I'm not going to, to eat with those people because they are eating food that used to be considered unclean. So Peter was hanging out with the Jewish people, and his faith was distracted the Galatians' faith was distracted. And honestly, when our faith becomes distracted, we begin to lead people astray. Not just ourselves, but anybody who we would say is in our oikos. Anybody who's in those 8 to 15 people that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed in your life. We begin to lead people astray when we start adding things to the gospel. It actually said that in Galatians 2.13 where it says even Barnabas was led astray by this false gospel that Peter was putting forth because he was adding things to the gospel. Peter had forgotten about where his faith originated. The Galatians had forgotten about where their faith originated, not by works, not by the flesh, but by the Spirit and by the Spirit alone. That's largely what this entire thing is talking about. So, so we start out and we tend to, re, like when we start out in our faith, we tend to remember that it is indeed Jesus plus nothing. That all we need to do to come to faith in Christ is to repeat the ABCs at the end of the message, we'll be good to go. But we so easily begin to add to what is expected of people almost immediately after they've become a Christian. And it's so easy to see why people uh, become disenfranchised with the church. Because what the church says they believe and what the church actively does oftentimes looks very, very different. We say, hey, we want you to come and have a relationship with Jesus. But rarely do we say at that point, hey, we want you to have a relationship with Jesus and also all of your waking moments you need to spend with us. And that oftentimes tends to be what happens because we add things to what it looks like to be a good Christian. Distraction from the only thing that matters, Christ and Christ crucified, will lead people astray. And beyond that, it'll actually waste precious time that we do not have. We have to be about sharing the gospel. And Paul's passionate about this, passionate about this. And we need to be passionate about this as well. Actually, in 1 Timothy uh, verse 4, or, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, rather, Paul is giving his apprentice Timothy on how to be a good leader, really how to, be, how to be a good pastor, but a good leader overall. If you want to figure out what it looks like to be a good leader, go read 1 Timothy. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's giving some very specific instructions. And actually, a lot of his words in the beginning of that chapter look a whole lot like the entire book of Galatians, right? Uh, he's talking about guarding yourself and making sure that you believe one doctrine and one doctrine alone. But specifically in verse 16, it's incredibly telling. It says this. It says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It says, persevere in your life and doctrine. Persevere means to push on 
in diligence from where you started. Continue on in the journey. Continue on in what it is that you believe. So for us then, in order for us to persevere, we need to continue on from where we started. So where is it that we started? We started with a very, very simple gospel. And the gospel continues to be a simple gospel. We tend to mess the whole thing up. But in John chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 16, but continuing on through 18, is the simplicity of the gospel. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does, does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The gospel is simple. If you believe, you won't perish. Period. If you believe, you won't perish. And so it's our responsibility then to watch that doctrine closely. When Paul talks about in 1 Timothy, watch the doctrine closely, he's talking about the gospel. Watch that doctrine closely because as we remember the simplicity of the gospel, it should force us to evaluate what we find most important. And the most important thing is, of course, Christ and Christ crucified. At least that's what we, what, what we believed when we, began, when we began following Christ in the first place. So again, I would exhort you, remember the simplicity of the gospel and guard that doctrine closely. And that's what Paul is asking the Galatians to do here. Hey, remember where you came from and guard it closely. So the question then becomes for us, how is it that we evaluate something like this? How is it that, that we evaluate uh, uh, the doctrine that we believe? Or if we truly do believe in the simplicity of the gospel. If we truly do believe in this idea of Jesus plus nothing. So how do we evaluate that? Well, the question, always, the question that always comes up when you're evaluating yourself is, where do you spend your time, your money, and your resources? Where do you spend those things? I mean, the Bible says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So what is it that you are spending those things on? And if, if you're looking at your time, and you're looking at your energy, you're looking at your money, your resources, you're looking at all of these things, and that's not representative of loving God and loving people and serving the world, then I would venture to say you've missed the simplicity of the gospel or you're adding things to it as the Galatians did. That's how you evaluate it. Look at your checkbook, your bank account. Look at your calendar. Look at the things that you're actively giving away to people. And it's not, if it's not representative of the simplicity of the gospel of Christ, you've missed it. You've missed it. And so now I, I, I do want to give all of us the opportunity to just take a second and evaluate your understanding of the gospel and what that truly means in your life. If that gospel is coming first in your life, if the simplicity of that gospel is coming first in your life? Have you forgotten about Jesus being your first love? Have you forgotten about Jesus being the most important person in your life? And so we're gonna go to communion today. And so I would, I would ask you to prepare those communion elements if you don't have them with you now. But as this next song plays, I would ask that you would just take a minute and evaluate if, we've, if you have fallen into the trap of being foolish Galatians. 
of adding things to an incredibly simple gospel? And if so, we need to, to fight fervently to shed that unnecessarily, unnecessary means of the flesh that Paul warned us about. We have to actively fight against it to retain the simplicity of the gospel that Jesus preached, that Paul preached, that hopefully every single one of us are preaching with our lives as well. So why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're, uh, we're incredibly grateful for your gospel. We're grateful for the simplicity of your gospel. And God, we, we, we actively recognize that we have to continue to fight to keep that simplicity because we love to just add things to it over and over and over again. And God, you set it up for us to be incredibly simple. That we need to believe in our heart and confess with our lips. And then we get the opportunity to tell our story. It's that simple. It's that simple. And so God, as we go to communion today, I just pray that we would actively search our hearts and just decide, and just look and see, have I abandoned the simplicity of the gospel? Have I begun to add things to the gospel that are ultimately unnecessary? And if so, that we would repent of those things. And if you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ and you've, maybe you're sitting here listening to this and you've heard me talking about the ABCs twice, that right now that you would, you would place your faith in Christ as well by praying along with us the ABCs. You would say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I mess up every single day. I fall short of you and your expectations every single day. And I admit that, Father. But I believe that you sent your Son to die on my behalf. God, that he came and he died and he conquered death, ultimately conquered death so I could be with you forever and that I would choose to follow you every single day. And we recognize that that's actually the simplicity of the gospel. That's it. And now we get an opportunity to share our story and what you've done in us. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.